Welcome everyone to the Craig Folly Show on a Thursday here in February in Detroit. It's the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you so much for joining me for the program today. And I've got a bit of a special show lined up for you today. You know, of course, we learned that uh, John Dingle has been moved into hospice care. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer last year and declined treatment at that point in time. He, of course, is 93 years old, the longest ever serving member of Congress and one of the more interesting people I've ever had an opportunity to talk to. And uh, I wanted to rerun an interview that I did with him back in 2013. I did this interview up at the Mackinac Policy Conference when I was with WDET. And the reason I wanted to run it, uh, I went back and listened to it yesterday. And it's amazing how many of the things we were discussing six years ago are still unresolved in Washington. So I wanted you to hear that today. It's almost like I could have done it yesterday. So I'm going to play that as part of today's program, and I hope you enjoy it. Stay tuned for The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Almost every year I have an opportunity to speak with my next guest, Congressman John Dingell, who joins me, who will, in just a couple of short weeks, become the longest-serving member in history of Congress, surpassing Senator Robert Byrd of West Virginia. First of all, sir, thank you for being here. Second of all, congratulations. That's, uh, that's not an insignificant accomplishment. Well, thank you. Uh, it, 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 the accomplishments, because I had a wonderful dad on whose name I could run, and also because I have a lot of wonderful friends who help me and take me care of me, and because I've got a fabulous wife who sees to it that I do fine in my politics. But to do this as long as you have, I mean, there's got to be a passion for the job of legislating, for, for the debate, for the fights. I mean, to keep doing this at this point in time, especially in the atmosphere that exists in Washington right now, there's got to be a real passion. Well, I tell you, the passion is there. The nastiness that you're alluding to is definitely there. The job is the greatest in the hands of the people that they can give to a man. It's the highest directly elected office in the Constitution. The president's not directly elected, nor is the Senate originally. So it, it means an awful lot to have that. There's only been about 15,000 men and women who've had that job since the founding of the country. And we are the directly elected representatives to people with many very specific responsibilities. So I've, I've found this to be an exciting challenge. I've been able to participate in many, many very important decisions that the country has made. I've seen things going back to the declaration of war in 1941 on December 8 when I was a page boy. And I've participated in all kinds of things since. And it's been a, a, a really wonderful experience. I saw us get through something my dad and I fought for, the health care bill. I saw, I saw us, I, I've gaveled through Medicare in 1965 when Lyndon Johnson and the Democrats pushed it. This was another thing that my dad worked so hard for. And I've had the chance to help literally tens of thousands of citizens with all kinds of problems. When you see, though, giant pieces of legislation passed, think about things like the Civil Rights Act or uh, Voting Rights Act or health care, as you said, there's always seems to be something new that's coming up that is the big fight of the day. And so is there ever a point where you sit there and go, I I've done enough? 
Oh, I don't think I don't think anyone is ever going to have the privilege of saying I have done enough. This is a vibrant country. We have 330 million people in it. We have huge problems around the world. We have the problems with terrorism. We've had problems with wars. We've had economic downturns. We had the Great Recession. We had to get ourselves out of that. You mentioned one of the things of which I'm most proud. That was the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which allowed African-American citizens to vote. Prior to that time, they could not. Almost cost me my job, too, but it was worth it. Uh, and thank God we came through. But more importantly, thank God we got the legislation through. Because now an African-American or another minority citizen is able to know that he or she is going to have the vote and that they will be, in fact, full citizens, which which is very important morally, but which was was extremely important in that day politically because this country was headed towards... I think, an awful explosion had we not passed that legislation. Let's talk about, though, the voting rights for just a second, because there's a new piece of legislation that's been introduced by two Democrats. Uh, Forgive me, I forget the names at the moment. I was just reading about it this morning, though, that would further cement in law the ability to vote, uh, something that would basically make a lot of what individual states are trying to do when it comes to restricting voting rights illegal. Does there need to be further action taken when it comes to voting rights? Well, I'm, 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 I'll have to look at the legislation. The answer is there is a, a very unfortunate and a very strong and well-financed effort being made to roll back the voting rights of citizens in this country, to substitute things sort of like the poll tax, to see to it that there has to be printed uh, and, and photographic identification, something we've never had to have before, to see to it that steps are taken to intimidate citizens to not go and vote or to confuse them about the date on which votes were occurring. And some of this is, is, is clearly seen to be supported by persons in high places. And some of this is governmental action, uh, which is taking place in some southern and western states, uh, under circumstances where the, the rather conservative courts are knocking it down and throwing it out. We also have a massive problem in this country right now, which I think is even more appalling, and that is Citizens United, the case before the Supreme Court, which allows almost anybody who's got enough money to buy elections, to buy votes, and quite frankly, to both corrupt the system and give the people the impression that the system has been corrupted by rich and powerful interests being able to buy elections in, in without any identification of themselves or their behavior. Okay, so how do you combat that? The Supreme Court has spoken on this question. Are there ways that you could challenge it? Well, the Supreme Court on, on this was mostly on the side of those who wanted to see to it that, that we had free and open voting. The calamitous thing which they did, of course, was the uh, Citizens United, in which they equated uh, commercial speech to political speech and free speech. And they found that corporations were, in fact, people. They're not. They're an artificial person which is set up for a peculiar and a specific purpose. And I don't mean peculiar in the sense of a funny one, but I mean in the sense of a very specific purpose. Having said that, uh, that is going to create terrible, terrible pressures on the, on, on the 
trust of the people and on their faith in the system. And it can subvert the entire system of our free government. And something has to be done about it. Okay, so so give me a sense as to what you think could be done about it, because the Supreme Court meddling with issues of personhood has had a, a long and somewhat troubled history in this country. Well, the Supreme Court, unfortunately, has moved so far to the right that one never knows what they're going to do. But having said that, uh, there are several things that can be done. The first is to pass a constitutional amendment, which is enormously difficult because you have to have a two-thirds vote in both houses of the Congress, and then you have to have three-quarters of the state ratify. I've got a bill which I uh, had in the last Congress and which we'll have in again this Congress, which says that we find that uh, that corporate speech is not is not political speech and that will enable us to then take the necessary steps to control these things to see to it that a citizen's right to vote and know who is who is who is financing these things uh, and these last minute dirty campaign things and stuff like that that a citizen will know that so that we can protect the system of which we're so proud where we want to have it free and and open and above all else, honest. My guest right now, Congressman John Dingell. Uh, let's talk about this because one of the interesting things is you pass a bill. It doesn't mean that that's the end of the story. Obviously, there are always going to be people challenging certain aspects of these laws, especially if they don't like them. I mean, there have been challenges to Medicare. There have been challenges to Medicaid. There have been challenges to Social Security over and over again for the entire length that those programs have been in existence. Healthcare going through much of the same thing. Uh, your body, again, for the 37th time, I think, passed a, a full repeal of, of what they call Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. Um, but what we're starting to see is the plans roll out. Of course, full implementation of the law takes effect next year. But we're starting to see the exchanges come online. Some of the data that's coming out of states like California and Washington looking pretty favorable towards the president and the supporters of the plan like yourself in that the rates for these policies are lower than many people predicted they would be, yet the public still not necessarily in favor of the changes to the law that you made. Well, is this a messaging problem, or, or is this something that's going to work itself out? Well, we hope very much it's something that will work itself out. This is the only nation that doesn't have uh, the, a program of national health insurance, the only industrial nation in the world that doesn't have that. Serious matter. Um, and we're going to have to do something to see to it that goes on. It is a serious messaging problem because there's a lot of people who don't understand it. There's a lot of people who are being given a lot of falsehoods about what it does, how it's going to take their insurance away from citizens. It's going to hurt their Medicare. None of this is true. And so I'm going to start in my own office, uh, start getting the story out every way I know how, and I'm going to start encouraging my colleagues to do the same thing. You mentioned 37 times. They've done that when when they can't get people back to work and when, when the leadership in the House is not doing the things they have to to create a program to make jobs to get Americans back to work after the greatest recession in, since 1929. So we have much to do on this. Uh, your comment about California and Washington State is remarkable. They've done an extraordinary job, and they've showed that in point of fact, this is going to save money. And the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan body that makes these estimates, says, first of all, it's going to reduce the deficit, and second of all, it's going to see to it that 
uh, the cost of medical care uh, begins to decline after years of enormous increases because we've never been able to control these costs until we pass this legislation. I have to ask, though, is there something that you can do to help Governor Snyder, in this instance, get Michigan to sign on to the Medicaid program, uh, which they have uh, so far been unwilling to do in this House. A lot of people suggest that that, in the long run, is going to save the state a lot of money and uh, provide insurance to a lot of people in the short term. Is there some role you can play from Washington in getting this implemented here in Michigan? Well, we gave them a sweetheart deal in Michigan. Um, They can write their own bill creating their own exchanges. If they don't, the federal government will do so. I think that would be a calamity for Michigan because Michigan cannot then direct its attention and that of its legislature creating the specific program that it wants to have promulgated by the exchanges. And curiously, by the way, these exchanges are supported by the insurance industry because they know it will work. It will let them them practice insurance instead of some of the other things that they're doing. Uh, And so this is something that we very much have to do, and we have to do very soon because it's important to this state. We also did something else which was very important to Michigan, and that is we gave them 100% of Medicaid costs for a period of three years. That's going to fall to 90% for people who are included now so that we can cover every American with, with health insurance. And we won't have people dying anymore because they don't have health insurance. So the, I, regrettably, I'm a federal official, and I'm not, a, I'm not in control in any way of that legislature. But, uh, and, and I've got to say, if the governor of the state can't make those people up there think and work and cooperate, I don't know who in the name of common sense can. Well, one last question for you, Congressman, and I have to ask about this. The U.S. Senate is poised to pass an immigration reform bill pretty significant package with a a path to citizenship, obviously, for a number of people who are here without documentation right now, already hearing rumblings from House leadership that this is probably not going to stand a chance. What is the likelihood that the House will torpedo immigration reform? Wow. You're trying to convert me from a politician and a legislator and a government official to a prophet. Uh, well, it is your body, sir. Ah, it's, that's a dangerous, low-paying <laughs> occupation, uh, which has left bodies of people strewn along the byways of history. And I'm not sure I want to get into that. But having, but having said these things, uh, we have to do something on this business of reforming our immigration laws. We have 11 million illegal uh, immigrants in this country. We are not letting the people in that we need who have skills that this country needs. We are not taking care of the concerns of business. Business desperately wants this. We're not taking care of agriculture, which desperately needs a legalized system of bringing in farm workers. Uh, we're not uniting families. And if we don't solve this problem, the number of illegals is going to continue growing in this country. And one of the really sad things is if we were to start on it right now, and and start kicking out all these persons who are undocumented and illegal, we would find we'd have a line of buses full of people extending from Nome, Alaska to Washington, D.C. Now, I'd like some of these smart people that are saying they don't want anything done about this to explain why it is that we can't and shouldn't and don't address one of the great problems we have, which has which has to be solved for the good of the country, but which has enormous benefits to us if we do it right. 
Congressman John Dingle, we always appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. My interview with John Dingle from May, late May of 2013 at the Mackinac Policy Conference while I was hosting my show on WDET. I wanted to play that for you again. I think that interview shows off a lot of the qualities that I really appreciate about John Dingle that I still appreciate every day with his tweets and everything else that he's still got going on. He has always been one of the smartest politicians I've known, one of the smartest people I know. I've learned something from him just about every single time I talk to him. I can't say that for a lot of people. It's a big deal. And he would always correct me when I made mistakes. And one of the other things that he does, every single time he does an interview with you, he sends a handwritten note of thanks. Now that's something that just doesn't happen very often anymore. Something I appreciate about John Dingle. And I just always appreciated the fact that he was funny, thoughtful in his answers, not dismissive, Uh, and actually really worked hard on these things. And when you consider that this is a guy who's been involved in every important piece of legislation in the late 20th century and the early 21st century, that says a lot. He's seen a lot, and he's learned from the experience, and it's made him a better person. And I love the fact that he is the one guy that can match President Trump letter for letter on Twitter each and every day, and he's still doing it. In fact, his latest tweet earlier today I thought was great. The lovely Deborah, of course, that would be his wife. The lovely Deborah is insisting I rest and stay off here. But after long negotiations, we've worked out a deal where she'll keep up with Twitter for me as I dictate the messages. I want to thank you all for your incredibly kind words and prayers. You're not done with me just yet. Well, we hope not, Mr. Dingle. He represented his constituency well, thoughtfully, with grace and class for 60 years. Heck of a career. And he's still out there tweeting right now. We wish him and his family all the best. I hope you enjoyed that interview. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. One-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor, and The Trip, wise relationship advice with hosts Megan Slattery and Tracy Evans. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey, while I've got a couple of minutes here, I wanted to remind you of an event that is coming up tonight that I'm actually going to be participating in. I'm really, really looking forward to this, and I hope I hope that you can join me. Uh, Go Comedy in Ferndale is a really great comedy club. They do wonderful improv theater, and it's always funny. It's always funny. I've been able to do a few things there over the past several years and always had a blast and always had a great time, and the people there are wonderful and treat you really, really well. But tonight, I am their guest for something that they're doing called News-ish. Now, it's a brand new show that they've got here. It's basically called News-ish Hot Takes. News headlines combined with a panel discussion, some sketch comedy, improv, and special guests. And apparently they're calling me a special guest today. So anyway, this is tonight. It's at 7.30 is what the show time. And uh, it, again, is taking place at Go Comedy, which is at 261 East Nine Mile in Ferndale. It's just east of Woodward on Nine Mile there, not too far from the public library. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. Um, I'm hoping that uh, they don't want me to be too funny, but hey, I'll do my best. Sometimes, sometimes I'll have a quip or two in there that might be worth something, but we shall find out. Anyway, that's taking place tonight at Go Comedy in Ferndale. Again, Newsish presents Hot Takes, 
And maybe maybe one of my takes might actually be semi-lukewarm. Could be good. But I'm going to be there tonight as a special guest. And if you've never been to Go Comedy before, I highly recommend it. There's nothing wrong with getting a little laughter in your life. And uh, they do a good job with it. So I'm looking forward to that tonight. Hopefully you can meet me out there again tonight, 7.30, out at Go Comedy in Ferndale. I hope I see you there. Have a great day, everybody. Enjoy your Thursday. A reminder, tomorrow is the Friday Follies. That's the weekly attempt that I actually take at humor. I've got a couple of guests. Daryl Dossie is going to be with me, as is Saeed Khan. So a good crew tomorrow. Plenty to make fun of. What do we have this week? Think about it. State of the Union. Plenty of stuff in there, for sure. And lots of other things that are going on. Virginia comes to mind. What's going on there? So we'll get into all of that tomorrow on the Friday Follies. Again, we'll be live. I'll Facebook it live at about 11 o'clock, probably, if you want to catch it that way. But I'll also make it available on DeadlineDetroit.com. And we'll make it available as well as a podcast. So if you just want the audio of it, that'll work too. But we'll be live at the Buell Bar downtown tomorrow. Looking forward to the Friday Follies. That's what we do. Have a great Thursday, everybody. Tomorrow is Friday. Think about that for just a second. See you then. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.